church. My name is Paul. I'm the other Purvis brother. And I come today from Tampa, Florida. It's great to be back in South Carolina and to be here with you. And on this strategic Sunday, especially as you really ask God, how is it you want me to impact my world? I'm especially grateful to be here with my big brother for all of my life. He's been that to me, a mentor, one of my best friends, always there for me. And I'm so proud just to see what God's done here at Northside. In almost 15 years of, of leadership, um, your reach is going to the nations. And I'm, I'm so proud of what God is doing around here. Do me a favor. Take your copy of God's Word, however you have that, on your phone or in copy like mine here, and turn to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1, a very familiar passage when you talk about missions. And then I think you need to jot down some of these spiritual nuggets of gold. So uh, whether it's a pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, your two thumbs, whatever you have to write with, and uh, then something to write on. And let's ask God just to teach us something new today. Now, when you think about the book of Acts, you may think of this as the Acts of the Apostles. Some of your Bibles say that in the description there at the beginning, because you see those earliest followers of Christ who live out the Christian faith. Uh, we think of it as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because that is a constant theme throughout this book. You could call it the Acts of the earliest church, because in the next chapter, like if we had all day, we would dive into Acts chapter 2. And the church is born. It's so exciting. We're, we see what we're supposed to look like. Or you could call it the acts that we're supposed to do. Because there's 28 chapters in this book. And really the next chapter, Acts 29, that's you and me. Because that's the point. Jesus left it in our hands. He wants us to change our worlds. And throughout my life, I feel like pretty much everybody I come in contact, that's at least what they say they want to do. I know over these last couple of years, as we've had a lot more time just to think about life and the frailty of life, man, at my age, I deeply desire to make an impact. I want to leave a legacy. I think everybody does, but it, it seems like few people actually do. A friend of mine puts it this way. He says, everybody wants to change the world, but most people aren't willing to take out the trash. In other words, we don't really want to do the hard work. Steve Jobs kind of said the same thing. He said, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are, are usually the ones who do. Do you think you can change the world? Because at the core of our faith is this belief that when you began a relationship with Jesus Christ, your world was changed. But that wasn't just for your benefit. So if that's new to you today, newsflash, breaking news, that's not all it's about. You were changed to be a world changer. So how do you do that? How do you get to that point? Is it about who you know? It seems that way in a lot of things in life. Or is it about what you have? You just get all you can and can all you get and then sit on the can. Is it just about what you have uh, or is it about what you do, right? Or maybe it's how you do it. That's one of my favorite songs. I live near the beach, so I'll get my Tommy Bahama chair and put on my Maui gems and go watch the Gulf of Mexico and turn on that old gospel music from, uh, what's the name of that group? Chairman of the Board. And, and they have a song. It says, it ain't what you do. It's the way that you do it. 
Is that how you change the world? Well, the truth is it's a little bit of all of that, really. And we see that in Acts chapter 1 in just these first few verses. But before we get to that, we've, we've got some unfinished business. Do this. Hold your hands out like this if you don't mind. Just open palm. And, and I want to pray. And I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm, I'm praying for me. I'm praying for those in our world that will be impacted because of this time. So let's do that together right now. So Father... We've come in the name of Jesus, and we recognize that your perspective in heaven is way different than us. You see what we've not seen. You've been where we haven't gone. Uh, because you are, you were, and you will forevermore be. And so we worship you, and our desire is that your name would be sacred, just as you taught us to pray, Jesus, and that your kingdom would come, as you taught us, and that your will would be done in, in these next few minutes. Because none of us need another church service. We don't need more ritual or religion. But we need to be changed. So teach us what we do not know and, and give us what we don't have and make us something different today. And Lord, let that begin in me. So let the words I say in my thoughts be pleasing to you, God. Because just as you, as a child in this state, you, you changed my life forever. And Lord, as a 12-year-old up in the, the northern part of the state, you you planted this call in my life. And, and then, Lord, as a 21-year-old, a, a, a little older in the northern part of the state, you allowed me to surrender. God, I, I pray that those kind of life changes that you've done in me would take place in this room today. And that that would be for your glory. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Acts chapter 1, we're going to just jump right in. Here's what it says uh, in the first book. Now, I'm a teacher as well as a preacher, and so we, we have questions that jump out at us, right? So here's the first pop quiz that you have today. This is written, it's called Acts, but now we know there's another book. So what was the first book? It's Luke. So you're going to see in just a few words, this is written by Luke, and, and Dr. Luke wrote two books in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and, and he wrote the book of Acts. And then it says, in this first book, O Theophilus. Now that means nothing to us, except if you do a little digging, you'll find out that that means lover of God. So I can translate and say, well, God, I love you. And I think a lot of you here would say, you love God. And so this book is to us, right? It's to the lovers of God. And I, that's Dr. Luke, says that he has dealt with all that Jesus began to do. Now again, I've got to stop right there because that teaches me something important that I need to know about how God works, which is that God is not finished with his work. You and I are here because there's an unfinished task. Aren't you thankful as we look around our world of strife and confusion and chaos that God is still working in this world? But more importantly, church, aren't you grateful that God's not finished with us? Those words from Paul in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful. Oh, I'm so thankful that my God is faithful to complete the work that he started. So if I had a sign I would put around my neck, and I, I realize this with every day I get older, it would be the sign that says under construction because, man, God's not finished with me. He's still working on me to make me what he wants me to be. And so Luke is saying, hey, I've, I've told you some of what Jesus began, but he's not finished with the work. This is what he did, and this is what he taught until the day he was taken up. And he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit. There I see a theme of Acts, the Holy Spirit. 
And I don't want that to scare you because it scares some of you. Because some of you, like me, you're, you're from that Baptist background. And I don't know if it's because it used to be called the Holy Ghost that we got scared when we heard of the Holy Spirit. But we, we've not really understood that the Holy Spirit is here for us. And, and the apostles to whom he's chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them for 40 days and speaking through the kingdom of God. And I've just got to stop there and tell you that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, we're told that he appeared to about 500 people. Now that's a big deal, but let me tell you something else. When he did the Sermon on the Mount, we know that people got hungry and, and right around that time in Scripture, there's something that we call the feeding of what? The feeding of the 5,000, and really, if you study scriptures, you find out that that's just men. So there were about 20,000 people there. So 20,000 people, and then even after he was resurrected, at least 500 people saw his Bible, his body. And now here he is, and he's standing with all of his followers. And you know what? If you kept reading, you'll see it's only about 120 people. And maybe that's something we need to recognize that even under the, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the miracles, the healing, the touch of Jesus, it's a small number that really respond, that really step up. And he's presenting himself alive to them, and he's speaking about the kingdom of God. Think about that, because that's going to be important. And while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Aren't you thankful for the promises of God? A few years ago, there was a movement of men. It was called Promise Keepers. And man, men, we need to be promise keepers. But I'm so thankful that I don't have to be the original promise keeper, that my God is the promise keeper. And if I study his word, I find out it's just full of promises. And Jesus is saying, there's a promise for you. In other words, he says, you've heard from me that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He, he's saying, when John baptized you, your outside got wet, and that's good. You, you had a symbolic expression that, that you were repenting from your sins. But when you follow me, the Holy Spirit is going to come into your life. And he uses a word that literally means to invade you. And that's what happens. And that's what we believe, that if you've got a relationship with Christ, when you step across that faith line, when you bend the knee, when you surrender your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God indwells you. And according to the book of Ephesians, he seals you in his grip. And he doesn't treat your heart like a cheap hotel where he checks in one day and checks out the other based on whether you've been good or bad. No, 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 no. He's there to stay. And he invades you. And so your life, if you're a follower of Christ, should look like you've been invaded by the Holy Spirit of God. Or as one country preacher used to say, he said, I'm so full of the Spirit of God that when on a hot summer night I got bit by a mosquito, I heard him when he was flying away, he was singing, there's power, there's power, there's power in the blood. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to ask, have I been invaded by God's Spirit? It says in verse 6, when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And this was really two questions in one because the first thing they were asking was about the kingdom of God. And some of you are confused just as the disciples were. Now remember, they were confused because even Nicodemus had come to Jesus and, and said, Hey, Jesus, um, how do I get to be a part of your kingdom? And so all of these folks who had this great Jewish knowledge in their mind, they were wanting a kingdom like the kingdom of David or the kingdom of Solomon. They were wanting Israel to be great again, right? This earthly kingdom. And so here they are. Don't feel bad. 
Because they had watched Jesus face to face. They had seen him heal the blind to make the lame walk. They had watched him turn that bread and that fish and feed multitudes. And now they were in front of the living, risen Lord. And yet they're still asking, uh, Jesus, when, when's the kingdom going to come? We're ready for the kingdom. We want to have the power again. And that's where some of you are. I hate to say it, but, but you're confused about this because you think who wins elections or, or what happens when you vote or, or if things are going your way, then God's kingdom is here. It was never about that. That's why Jesus would say when he was before Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. I don't care if you put a fake crown of thorns on my head. It's not what it's about. And, and they still didn't get it. And then we know they didn't get it because they said, is it the time? And it's a word that was used as chronos, which means like, is it like some of you are starting to do? Well, it's about time, preacher. Is it the chronos, uh, Jesus, for your kingdom? Is it the time? And notice how Jesus responds. He says, it's not for you to know times or seasons. And he uses two different words. Chronos that they had used, and then he uses the word kairos. Kairos is a word to speak to the season you're living in. And, and I don't know about you, but I think we're living in weird kairos, weird seasons. I, in my 52 years, have never seen the chaos and confusion that our society is filled with today. We need people who understand the times. First Chronicles, they were called the men of Issachar. It says they understood the times. Paul and Ephesians tell us that you've got to redeem the time, the kairos. And Jesus said, you, you just don't get it. So he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons, but the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, and here's this familiar verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Now that's where they were. So he's saying, you're gonna be witnesses right here. That's your little corner of the world. In fact, you need to say that. Say, my little corner of the world. But he didn't stop there. He said in Jerusalem and then he said in Judea. And see, Jesus had grown up in Galilee, and so if you've been to Israel, Jerusalem's just about three-hour drive from going up north into Galilee. And, and so he, he's saying, it's not just your little corner of the world, it's, it's your people. And that kind of is special to me today because I got to come back to my homeland, to South Carolina, and so you're my people, and, and you have folks like that too that are your people, your Judea. Um, Say this, say, those are my people. But he didn't stop there, right? He said, Jerusalem, your little corner of the world, and, and Judea, your people. And then he says, Samaria, and every one of them knew where Samaria was, but they did not want to go there. But they could get there. They could get there from here. Say, I can get there from here. So there's some places you can go that may not be that hard to get to that, that God's saying, hey, you need to witness for me there. And then he says, and the uttermost parts of the earth is the way we think of it. All over the world. And that was everybody. Say everybody. everybody. Now here's another pop quiz. Who was Jesus saying they were responsible for? Everybody. We call this the Great Commission. And it's not a sales tactic. It doesn't mean if you do something you get a percentage no, this is a command from God that you witness for him. And the one thing, if you could just think of one thing I want you to walk away with today, it's this truth that every Christ follower is called to leverage their life for the great commission of Jesus. 
You don't have to stand on a stage to preach or to sing. You don't have to go uh, as a job to another country. But you are called to leverage your life for the great commission of Jesus. Serving Jesus may not be a vocation to you, but if you're going to live an obedient life, it must be the occupation for you. No one gets a pass at this. It's the great commission. So then Jesus said this, and it said when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them out of their sight. (laughs) Now imagine this. They're with Jesus. Man, they're pumped because he really did raise from the dead. They never understood it, but here he is. He's with us. All right, Jesus, when when are we going to get your kingdom? When are you going to start doing the stuff we want you to do? And Jesus says, you guys don't get it. Not for you to determine the kingdom or to know what time it is. You don't know what time it is. But here's what you are to do. You're to be my witnesses in your little corner of the world and with your people and to those places you can get to that you may not want to go to and really to everywhere else too. And then he says, bye-bye. And he ascends to heaven. And so you shouldn't be surprised because we would be doing exactly what they did. And the scripture, if we continue to read it, says, and they were just standing there gazing like this. And then two angels appeared, which I'm sure just kept them going like this. And the angel said, men of Galilee, what are you doing? Stop just gazing. And go do what he told you to do. And that's a message to the church today, isn't it? Because we're pretty good at this. Even through COVID, we're finding our way at this. You know what this is? The church gathered and we can, we can even fake it with the church gathered. We can dress and, and go to church and, and we can sing songs and we can read scripture. And that's good. We're supposed to. Hebrews tells us, don't forsake that. Make that a part of your life because that encourages you. But that was never the end all. The mission. It was to be the church scattered. That's how we change the world. We're not going to do it from here. We're not going to make the difference he wants us to make just carving out an hour and a half or three hours of our week and coming and becoming a part of a church. No, we have to become a world changer. And it does depend on who you know. If you want to change the world, you have to know the person Jesus who changes the world. That's how Luke began. I told you all about Jesus, what he did, what he began, and what he's doing. And and some of you know that. You could tell the stories of Jesus. You you could tell the things he did scripturally. But do you know him? I think Luke was getting at this reality that there has to be a moment in our life where we really determine we know Jesus. Not that we're Baptist or Catholic or Methodist or Episcopal or Lutheran or Assembly of God. Not that we've been to church class or First Communion or Confirmation or been baptized or whether that's dipped or dunked, however you do it. He's not talking about that. Has there been that point in your life where you really know Jesus? Where you've understood that no matter where you were born, you were born separated from God because of this thing called sin. And and that's not because of something you did. It's simply who you are. It's your nature. And you can't help that. And and, and if that's undealt with, that that sin is going to cause you to be punished forever. And that punishment, we even know where that takes place. It takes place in hell. But it's not God's will that you experience that. And and so God did something radical in his pursuit of you. He sent his son. And and the Bible tells us God so loved the world that he gave it. 
his son, that whoever believes in him, whoever knows him, does not have to perish, but can have forever life. And Romans tells us that God did that even while we were still sinners. He showed us that love. So the first thing, if you want to be a world changer, you have to have had your world changed. And you got to do that by knowing Jesus. Like C.T. Studd. You probably hadn't heard of him. He was a, a world-famous cricketer. Anybody in here play cricket? Yeah, me either. You know, we're football, basketball, maybe a little bit of soccer, but cricket, well, that was a sport in England. It is a sport around the world. And he was really good at it. Like, he was on the national team, one of the best players in England. But like some of you today, he finally responded to what God was saying in his life. And he answered the call. And he left all of that. It would be like LeBron James or Michael Jordan, whoever you think is the GOAT, leaving at the top of their career and following Christ and serving God on the mission field. And that's what he did. He went to India and all other parts of the world. And and he gave us a famous quote. Here's what it says. Only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. That's what it means to know Jesus. It means there's been a time where you've bent the knee. Where you've put your yes on the table. Where you've really meant what you've sometimes sung. Wherever you lead, I'll go. So the first question, if you want to be a world changer, is is, do you really know the person who changed the world? But there's another thing. If you want to be a world changer, you have to have the power that God uses to change the world. And that power is found in the Holy Spirit. And that's why in this first few verses of the book of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 2 and verse 5 and verse 8. But here's what's exciting. In verse 4, it says, you wait for this until he comes. But for me and you, we don't have to wait anymore. Pentecost has happened. And and so we have access to the Holy Spirit of God when we begin that relationship with God. And he changes us. That's what Jesus was trying to say to the disciples in John 14. Remember, they were depressed because he kept telling them, I'm about to die. This isn't working out. Y'all don't get it. It You don't understand. So he gathers with them. John 14, he says, hey, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. You believe in God? Well, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. And I'm going to prepare one for you. And and by the way, where I go, I'm I'm not staying there. I'm coming again. And then in that passage, he goes on to say, but until that time, I'm going to send you a helper. And that's what Luke's referring to here. Who's the helper that God sends us? It's the Holy Spirit. So what does he do? Well, he enlightens us. There are times in our life where we've all been enlightened by the Holy Spirit of God. We didn't know what to do, and we cried out to God, Oh, God, help me, show me. And by the way, he tells us if we ask, he will answer. James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, just ask God, and he gives it to you generously. And he guides us. That's why the Proverbs say we make our plan, but he guides our steps. He enlightens us. And then sometimes, have you ever been energized by the Holy Spirit? You wake up and think, oh, I can't do it today. God, I know you wanted me to do this, but I don't think I can do this thing you've asked me to do. And we've got this energy of the Holy Spirit. And then he encourages us. Have you ever been down? That's why Jesus in John 14 says, so peace I'm leaving with you. And my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. 
I read that again this morning in, in Philippians chapter 4 where it says, Be anxious for nothing but in everything, everything, with prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. He encourages us when we need it. That's mighty powerful. So the question is, are you relying on the power that God's made available to you? John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he says, is it really true that that, that which the early church so depended on, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, is irrelevant today? Is the power of the Holy Spirit relevant in your life? Or is that something that you've just said, I don't have to understand that or that is for other people? What greater things is God calling you to do that he's already given you the power to do that you're not acting on just because you're not embracing it? Let me give you a verse and then try to illustrate it. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. The Bible says that we have a God who's able to do far more abundantly above and beyond that which we've asked for or even dreamt or imagined. Now, here's an easy one, church. How many of you would like a life like that where God gives you far more than you ask, dream, or imagine? You look pretty silly if you're not raising your hand right now. Listen, I've done this three times. I could be here all afternoon. Of course we want that. And how do we get that? It's because there's power at work within us. The Holy Spirit in you. What greater things are you not doing because you're rejecting the power of the Holy Spirit? About six years ago, I preached on James 1, 27, where the half-brother of Jesus said, this is pure and undefiled religion. You take care of the widows and the orphans. And then I called our church to come back together in the evening, and we talked about abortion and just the sin that that is and human trafficking. Then we talked about foster care and adoption. It was a good day. I felt like I, I could check the pastor box on that day. And so I went home, and I, I said to my wife, you know, we had four boys, and I said, hey, you know, powerful day. Is the Holy Spirit telling you anything today? And she said, no, I, I think we're okay. We got four children. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. Me either. He's not saying anything to me. We're doing good. Next morning, I get up and go to work and had a text on my phone. And the man on the text, he was 67-year-old. He had been married, remarried for one year. And this is what it said. Pastor, is there anybody in our church that would be open to foster care and adoption? And I'm thinking, well, that's what we spent all day yesterday talking about. What in the world? So I, I picked up the phone and called him. I didn't text him. I said, hey, Bart, hey, man, what, what are you talking about? He said, Pastor, my great-granddaughter was taken from my granddaughter because of drug abuse and neglect by the state. And so we have her right now, but th there's no way we can give her the care that she needs. I don't think she'll go back to my, my granddaughter, but that's not resolved. Do you think there's anybody at the church? I said, were you here yesterday? He said, No. We've got this little two-year-old girl, and she was born blind and taken out of her mother's home, and she's never been around kids, and, and there's no way we could come to church. I said, that was everything we talked about yesterday. And I said, I've got, I think, a dozen people on a list, but as those words came out of my mouth, I sent something. I said, hey, man, give me 24 hours. I'm going to give you some names. I began to think and pray and wonder, what God, what are you doing in me? And I went home that evening, and I shared that story with my wife, and and I said, hey, do you, do you think we're, 
You think we're supposed to be the home for this little girl? And she said, yeah, I think that's us. I'm just telling you that because in 24 hours, two people who were sensitive to the Holy Spirit of God stepped out in faith and trusted His power to do something that we don't have the power to do. On September 8th, we celebrated her gotcha day. She's been in our home for six years. We still don't have the power in and of ourselves. But thank God, He gives us the ability to do that what we haven't even begun to think or imagine by his grace and for his glory. I can't imagine our lives without my daughter. And yet I look at you and I wonder, what is it God's prepared for you that you're not even experiencing because you're scared or you feel like you can't? You're not trusting him. We've got to know the person and, and we've got to walk in his power. But there's a third thing. He says, if you want to change the world, you have to obey this great commission. That's your purpose. You've got to live on purpose for his purpose. It, it's not optional. And, and yet in a recent Gallup survey, more than half of those who profess to know Christ said they couldn't even define what the great commission is. Just in case that's you, let me tell you what it is. It's that verse 8 that we read. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in your little corner of the world with your people to those you can get to and everybody else as well. That's what God's asking you to do. You've just got to choose are you going to be obedient or disobedient? There's not a third option. It's the same thing Jesus was saying in Matthew 28 when he said, as you go, make disciples of all nations. What is a witness? A witness is just somebody that tells what they've seen and experienced. You don't have to have a theology degree. You don't even have to graduate from Sunday school. Matter of fact, if you notice that you never graduate from Sunday school, what's up with that? You just got to testify to what Jesus has done in your life. It's not what you know about him. That's not our problem. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience. It's not the truth we know that changes things. It's the truth we do. It's how we live out what we know to do. So every day our staff gathers at 10.02 and we try to do what Jesus commanded us to do. We pray that Luke 10.2 prayer. You know what it is? He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. Because the field is white for harvest, but the laborers are few. In our city that our central campus is in, it's now 25% Muslim. In fact, four days of the week, there are more Muslims on our church campus than there are Christians because they're coming onto our church campus to learn English. And so one day we were standing in that 1002 prayer circle and, and I said, hey guys, let's do something. Around the world, Muslims are coming to Christ because they have visions and dreams and then someone shares the good news of Jesus with them. Let's pray that that'll happen here. Within one week in Tampa, Florida, this lady from Bahrain, her name is Amal. She walks into our doors and she says, I've got to speak to a pastor. Well, we team her up with my internationals pastor. He's from Niger and he speaks Arabic and French and, and he's very familiar with that Muslim religion. And, and she came in and she said, Pastor, um, I'm living in fear. I need peace. So I opened the Quran and I can find no peace. I went to the imam at the mosque. The largest mosque in central Florida is two miles from our church. I went to the imam and he didn't get any peace. I turn on the news and all I see is that ISIS in the name of Allah is killing people. Christians and Muslims. So I went to bed last night and I said, God, if you're there, if you're real, give me peace. 
She said, I had a dream. This man robed in white came to me, and he called my name. She said, Pastor, how did he know my name? He said, Amal, I can give you peace, but you have to trust in me. She turned to Pastor Zach. She said, Pastor, who is that man? He smiled, and he said, that's my Jesus. He told her about Jesus. She trusted Jesus. We began to disciple her. She began to follow Christ. Her family in Bahrain fell out, found out, and they threatened to come after her. Her dad was sending her older brother to come get her, take her back for what probably would have been what they call a mercy killing. Yet before that could happen, her sister called from Bahrain and said, Amal, your nephew, my son, was in a terrible motorcycle accident. He, he's in a coma. And we know that you've got this faith now. Would you please pray for him? She said, I'll pray, but there are two conditions. Number one, I know our whole family, including my dad, is in that hospital room. I want you to put me on the speakerphone. And she said, number two, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus because that's where I put my trust. So she prayed for her nephew. They hung up. The next morning, she gets a call from her sister. She said, Amal, you're not going to believe this, but your nephew, he's awake, and he's asked to speak to you. In fact, the first thing he said when he woke up is said, I need to speak to my aunt Amal. And she said, I told him, you're not here, that you're in the United States. He said, oh, no, she's here because she came to me last night. And she was holding a cross in her hand, and I need to ask her what that cross means. Guys, I'm just telling you, if a, a Muslim lady that God moves all the way around the world to find him can be used to go back to the other side of the world over the phone and share the gospel with her Islamic family. What does God want you to do in your little corner of the world or with your people or wherever you can get to or anywhere in the world? Truth is, there are 17,000 plus people groups in the world today. 7,432 of them have no semblance of a movement of Christianity. By the way, in, in America, in our country, there's now 1,500 plus people groups. What if instead of making a political argument as a citizen of this kingdom, if we begin to notice that perhaps God is bringing the people of the world to us so that we might share with them the best blessing that we have as Americans, the good news of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you were moved by my story and you realize that James 1.27 is for all of us too. Pure and undefiled religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Did you know that in the state of South Carolina right now there are more than 4,000 children in foster care? Do you know how many Baptist churches there are in this state? What difference is God wanting you to make? How is he wanting you to be his witness? We have to know the person of Jesus. We have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to live on purpose and be his witnesses. But we've got to remember the promise. The angels looked at those open-mouthed disciples and, and they said, guys, why are you still gazing? This same Jesus that you've just ascended to heaven. You know what he said next? He's coming again. So get busy. In other words, why are you hanging out here? You've already got your marching orders. I wonder, church, I understand in recent days y'all been holding up God's word and you've been testifying to its truth, but I wonder if you really believe it. 
Do you believe what it says? That the one who left is coming again? That's how the book ends in Revelation 22. That's exactly what it says. Surely I am coming soon. And then we have these words, Maranatha. Do you know what that means? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the promise. Are you living like you believe it? When you do, you'll become a world changer. Like Adoniram Adoniram Judson. I want to read a letter. He wrote this letter to his future father-in-law. Some of you in here have son-in-laws. Others of you are single men. Imagine getting or writing this letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to the exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, to insult, to persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion? And the glory of God. That's a crazy letter. But that father-in-law said yes. And that young couple went to the mission field. And they literally gave their lives. They first went to China, but they ended up in Burma. We now call that Myanmar. There was no Christian presence. That young wife died a premature death. And shortly thereafter, their one-year-old child died. But Adoniram Judson stayed as a world changer. That was now his little corner of the world. Those were now his people. He could get there. And so he went to them. And today, that country, Myanmar which at the time had no Christian movement, has more than two million Baptists and is one of the largest Christian nations in the world. Why? Because one person decided to be a world changer, to understand that this was not just a mission, it was their mission. And so they responded. Will you? That's really what's at the heart of today's gathering. What are you going to do about this truth? When I was growing up, I would hear folks, even like my hero, our, our daddy, I, I would hear him say, you know, all of you can pray, most of you can give, and, and some of you can go. And I was moved by those statements until as I've grown older, I began to read God's word and I realized that's not biblical. Yes, all of us can pray. We're commanded to by Jesus. But all of us can give. 
You don't have to be rich to be generous. You just got to choose to be generous. And all of us can go. Because Jesus just told us to go starting in our little corner of the world. I want you to be a world changer today. I want you to respond to the words of Jesus. So do me a favor. We started with our hands open. So I don't dare want you to clench your fist now. Let's open our hands back. And you've got this card when you came into the room. Maybe just put this card in your hand. Now you're used to these if you've been a part of this church. And when you leave today, they're giving boxes. If, if God's already begun to show you what he wants you to do in this area of giving, you can put that card in the box later. But before you get to that, I want you to ask him, God, what would you want me to do with this open card in my hand? Some of you need to know more specifically how you can pray or you can go. And, and there's all kind of ways you can find out more about that in your gym. But it all starts with your open hands and your willingness. I want you to bow your heads with me now. Now you're probably wondering, what do I do if I'm not there yet? The truth is some of you are not ready to be missionaries because you're still the mission field. You've never begun that relationship with Christ. And if that's you, you've come to a safe, good place today. Because everything I've told you is because of the deep, deep love of God for you. So right where you are, the first thing he would have you to do is just say, God, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Tell him that you believe he died for you. And that you know he lives today. Tell him you surrender. Or however you want to say it. I repent. I resign as the boss. I'm going to follow you. Just give him control of your life. Put your yes on the table. And then if you've done that, tell him thank you for changing your life. He's changed your world. But the rest of us, let's just take a moment and say, God... What would you do through me for your glory? You've changed my world. How do you want me to live my life as a world changer? So Father, in obedience to your commands, we've gathered in the name of Jesus. We've read and listened to your perfect and holy word. We opened our hands and asked you to speak. I believe you have. Now we prepare to leave open-handed. We've had a good time gathering in this building that was made by the hands of man. But when we leave, we really go into this mission field. Everywhere in the world, a world that was spoken to existence by you. So Lord, I pray for your local expression of your church called Northside. Lord, may the saints of Northside catch on to this truth that you want them to change their world for your glory. 